you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. One of the most disconcerting and surprising trends in American culture over the last decade is the rise of what has become known as the snowflake generation. Technically speaking, this generation consists of the young adults of the 2010s who are more prone to taking offense and have less psychological resilience than generations before them. They are too emotionally vulnerable to cope with views that challenge their own in any way. This age group stands in stark contrast to the greatest generation who grew up during the Great Depression, fought in World War II, and basically built this country into an economic world power. Of course, there have been many generations in between these two polar opposites, including Generation X, the Millennials, and the I Generation. But the newest generation with this derogatory label of snowflake has arrived as different than all the rest. It's hard to picture this generation surviving a depression or going to war when they can't even handle an opposing viewpoint. So how did we arrive here to such a large group of snowflake young people? Well, some sociologists put a lot of blame on the new generation of helicopter parents. You know, those parents who overprotect their children, constantly flying around to make sure their child never suffers emotionally, mentally, or physically. But I think you have to go further back to truly understand this trend. The rise of the self-esteem movement of the late 60s and early 70s provided the foundation for both helicopter parenting and snowflake children. Think about even the label snowflake itself. In one sense, it describes well the tendency for people to melt away when confronted with difficulty or trials. But in its original sense, a snowflake is an original. Remember how you were taught in school that no two snowflakes were alike. So when parents think of their child as unique and special, they are treating them like a snowflake as well. So after being indoctrinated for decades that the number one parenting goal is to raise a child's self-esteem, it makes sense that the best way to do it is not just praise and affirmation, but also by preventing anything emotionally harmful from entering into the child's orbit. If a child is going to have a high self-esteem, then he or she must be raised in protective bubble wrap of extreme love and nurturing. And so this has led us to young adults who are genuinely and deeply offended by any ideas, words, or thoughts that run contrary to their worldview. They can't even handle having a president for four years that might believe in things they don't believe in. The snowflakes out there rant and rave on social media about all manner of things, making just about everything into a daily crisis, and they ultimately melt away. Now, is this what we want for our children raised in Christian homes and by biblical standards? Let's dig down deep today and learn how to raise children who are resilient 
rather than ones who can't deal with everyday life. You know, it's funny, even using the term snowflake will make certain young adults upset and angry. They can't even be described accurately without taking offense. Past generations would laugh at that label and work to prove that it's just not true. Now that's psychological resiliency in a nutshell. But let's do a better job at defining resilience before we move on. Resilience is the ability to bounce back from stress, adversity, failure, challenges, and trauma. It is mental and emotional toughness and grit, coupled with strength of character and the courage to take risks in this life. Now, resilience isn't just some form of stoicism where nothing matters or the belief that nothing can hurt me. Resilient children are not robots or superheroes. We are not to train them to somehow be above and beyond pain or emotion or struggle. The key here is the ability to bounce back, to persevere, to endure through all adversity, rather than collapsing and melting away. These children are growing and developing to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. So here are my top 10 ways of handling the important task of building resiliency in our children biblically so we can avoid them becoming snowflakes. First, properly define uniqueness. Since the problem of a lack of resilience in children can be traced to poor parenting, we must begin with the right parenting mindset of our children. In a previous podcast, I spoke of how we should see our children as unique creations. They are all different, and they've been uniquely given to us to raise. They are also unique because they are made in the image of God. We must never think of our children as just animals with clothes on. These are some of the biblical components of viewing our child as unique. The problem comes when we push this view further into what I like to call extreme uniqueness. What is extreme uniqueness? Well, here are some characteristics. Thinking my child is the greatest in the world in anything. The smartest, the most athletic, the biggest heart, the most gifted. Thinking my child deep down is really good. Like the parent who sees her child arrested for murder and tells the reporter that, He's really a good kid. Confusing loving your child with always thinking only the best about him. Thinking your job is to make sure he always thinks the best about himself. Regularly boasting about your child's accomplishments to friends on social media to the entire world. Thinking your child is God's gift to the world. Do you get the idea? Well, just to be clear, you should be happy and grateful that the Lord chose to give you your child. You should desire to see your child accomplish great things for the Lord now and in the future. But when you think in terms of extreme uniqueness, you'll end up communicating pride-inflating messages to your child. Watch how often you speak in terms of, you're the best, you're the greatest, you're the most, whatever. Even if your child displays a great brain or athletic prowess or other incredible giftedness, he or she is not the greatest in the world or the greatest of all time. 
He or she is a human being, not a superhero, not a god with a small g, not perfect, not all-powerful, not all-knowing. This is parental pride that leads us to have an overinflated view of our child. If every one of God's creation is unique, then there is not one or two or three that are the most unique of all. That is the stuff of legend and myth and story. Unfortunately, it's what we do in our culture to athletes or actors or celebrities. We worship them as false gods. Put your child in right perspective. He or she is unique and special to you as your inheritance and reward from the Lord. But he or she is not to be thought of or treated as near divine, near angelic, to be high and lifted up. Extreme uniqueness is the mindset that must be changed, or even a Christian parent will end up either overprotecting or explaining away all sinfulness and failure of the child. That leads us to the next practical step of building resilience in your child. Suspect your child first. Henry gets in trouble on a regular basis in school. But when you talk to Henry's mom about it, you hear things like, that school doesn't really care about our children. Those teachers are so stupid. They're awful. They just play favorites. My Henry is always being falsely accused. There are kids in his class who do a lot worse things who never get in trouble. Now, some of what Henry's mom says may be true. But what is wrong here is her whole approach to her son's behavior. She suspects everyone first and her son last, if ever. As unloving as it may sound, it is always best to suspect your child first when there's a problem in his life. The first question must be, what did you do? Not, what did they do to you? That question comes later. And even then, the better question is, how did you respond to what they did to you? It is very easy to create or contribute to a victim mentality in our children. This especially happens when we think of them as too good or unable to do much wrong. It's always those kids down the block doing the bad things. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about being overly harsh with your child, falsely accusing your child, or putting them in a room and doing a terrorist interrogation to them. I'm just proposing that the biblical principle here is that we must always look at our own sin first. Get the log out of our own eye, according to Jesus. If we train our children to think we will always defend them first, then we open ourselves up to grand manipulation and deception. Plus, we are teaching our kids that they are never to blame for the problems in their lives. Bouncing back from failures and difficulty begins with admitting your own sin, your own part in the problem. It won't happen if the child is always claiming innocence. Again, I'm not suggesting that you always need to be cynical about your child, believing the worst about him. But you need to develop a realistic view of your child, seeking to believe the truth about him. And this means you'll be embarrassed about your child's behavior, and that's okay. We should be ashamed of the sinful things our children do. That shouldn't lead us to anger or anxiety or to the other extreme of denial. We must confront our child's sin and deal with it well. Teach your child to examine self and to know self more, to see his sin, to confess it, and repent. 
My third point in this top 10 is protect your child, but don't overprotect. Now, how do we know the difference as parents? We are certainly charged to protect our child from those who would seek to harm them physically, sexually, and even emotionally. We must never leave our children to fend for themselves in this cruel, difficult world. The tendency to overprotect begins with the wrong mentality, just like I mentioned in the last two principles. It begins with the idea that our children should never suffer, be always free from pain and difficulty, and that it is our job to prevent anything bad from happening as far as it is in our control. But there's no biblical basis for this parental attitude. In essence, we are trying to be God in their lives, even ending up believing that God isn't doing his job very well. The overprotective parent intervenes too quickly, tries to fix every problem, and again tends to blame everyone else except the child. What's really wrong with bad things happening to our children? Do we think they will be crushed, never to recover? Do we see their character as that weak? By definition, we are not believing that they can be resilient. We must communicate to our children that this fallen world is hard, full of suffering and difficulty. It is not heaven. We can count on bad things happening to us. At the same time, we teach them that they have a God who's in control and will only allow what he desires to come into their lives. He is their strong tower and protector. Children must learn not to fear hard things, but to be ready for them, trusting God to make it through all of them. Again, if we define the loving of our children as not wanting them to suffer or to hurt or to struggle, then we have an idolatrous love. Jesus himself said that if we follow him, we'll be hated by the world and suffer many things. Our children will have to do battle with their own sin, the sin of others, the work of Satan, and the temptations of this fallen world. That's just reality. So consider ways that you may be overprotecting rather than just protecting, trusting in the Lord to do what needs to be done in the heart of your children. Well, let's get back to our principles of building resilience in our children with number four. Train them to be truly tolerant of ideas. As I said at the outset, one of the hallmark characteristics of the snowflake generation is their genuine distress over ideas that go against their own worldview. Now, we can all be tempted to only want to surround ourselves with people who agree with us, believe the same as we do, etc. As a political conservative, it's hard for me to be around political liberals. Their thinking often frustrates me and hurts my head. Yet it is a different thing if I allow them to ruin my day, steal my joy, and take control of my life in any way. This is the problem of the snowflake. What we need to teach our children is to become biblically tolerant of ideas that do not match up with their own. Not tolerant in the world's definition. That wrong view of being tolerant is that I must accept your ideas as valid or true or acceptable and even laudable. But the historic and biblical definition of tolerance 
is treating a person with respect, gentleness, and kindness, even when their ideas are false, wrong, untrue. It is being able to say, I believe what you believe is wrong, and at the same time saying, I respect your right to have those beliefs, but I'd love the opportunity to confront them. Unfortunately, even if you raise your child to be biblically tolerant of others' views, it doesn't mean he or she will receive the same courteousness in return. It's pretty obvious that there is very little civility and kindness left in our culture today. The key is to teach your child that he can be upset when other people believe lies and operate from an unbiblical worldview, but that this frustration must be mingled with sympathy and compassion in order to not lead to anger and bitterness. And your child needs to understand that there are many, many people who reject Christ and his truth, and that will manifest in ideas in the political, religious, and social realms. Instead of melting when others disagree, train your child to stand firm on his convictions and learn the lost art of tolerant, compassionate debate and discussion. Here's a fifth principle. Don't be afraid of tragedy and the hard emotions that follow. One of the regular questions I get from parents has to do with whether or not their young child should attend a funeral of a loved one. They are concerned about the impact that seeing grandpa in a casket will have on their child. Again, this often falls under the category of trying to figure out when to protect our child from difficult things, in this case, heavy grief and sadness. But my answer is always the same. Yes, bring your child to visitations, to wakes, and to funerals. Do not ever shelter them from tragedy, even the tragedy of death. Death is a part of life until Christ returns. Why do we think children are too young to properly grieve? Why do we want to sanitize this world of sin and death by pretending death doesn't happen? Even if your child goes to a funeral and comes home upset, has nightmares for a while, and cries a lot, these are real-life consequences of grief. You just need to teach them how to grieve with hope, not avoid grief altogether. Now, does this mean we let our children watch extreme war violence in movies or listen to daily news stories about murders in our city? Not at all. There are enough real-life tragedies that your child will be exposed to and that you need to help them bounce back from. Think about the school shootings that have occurred over the last several years. Every time one happens, a slew of grief counselors are available for the children. While there may be a need for some to have counseling, the real counselors should be their parents who help their children talk through what happened. As Christian parents, we are to not fear hard emotions that come from tragedy, but point our children to the God of all comfort, the sovereign God who is in control. When properly parented, children who go through tragedy actually end up responding more resiliently than many adults do. Number six, promote biblical decision-making and risk-taking. Snowflakes need to play it safe to survive. They have to avoid the heat of the sun. They have to stay away from cars, snowball-making children, 
and all equipment that want to move them to the side. Snowflakes just want to lay still, out of the way, and be perfectly protected. Well, the same goes for snowflake children. They long to play it safe. They take few risks in this life, if any. So it should make sense that parents who want resilient children instead of snowflake children must challenge them to be risk takers. No, I'm not necessarily talking about hang gliding or skydiving or extreme sports. There are enough normal risks that children need to be encouraged to take. Believe it or not, one of the greatest risks we take in life is the risk of making a decision. After all, we might make the wrong decision. We may suffer from buyer's remorse. We may wonder what would have happened if we chose the other one. We may fail or suffer in some way. More and more children and youth suffer from the fear of making a decision. We have so many passive children that avoid hard choices or just rely on their parents to make them for them. So teach your children to make decisions biblically, to pray, to think, to reason well, to weigh options, to trust God, and then to make a decision. Knowing that God is in control of all things should bring a joy and peace to decision-making, not fear and dread. From there, your child needs to learn to take other risks as well. The risk of being a friend. The risk of reconciling when it is easier to run and avoid. The risk of trying something again and again and again and again. The risk of finishing a task well instead of halfway. Again, remember, we want children who will tough it out, do the hard things, and make the difficult choices. This is part of their maturation in Christ. Seventh, teach children to think and speak truthfully. In any hard situation, it is tempting for our children to believe lies. Satan wants them to live in fear, to dwell on the worst-case scenario, and to be immobilized from doing what's right. Resilient children are good thinkers. They think biblically. They think soundly about what is going on around them. But they're not going to think this way naturally on their own. They will need your help and instruction. So when tragedy strikes or a difficult situation arises, help them to think through it. This includes speaking truthfully about the situation as well. Oftentimes I hear my own children saying things like, I have no friends. No one likes me. Nothing good ever happens to me. I'm a loser. I can't do anything right. And the list goes on. These are all lies born out of emotion, not out of rational thought. So with compassion, you need to fight these lies with the truth and thereby teach your child to fight them as well. Don't allow your child to wallow in self-pity, thinking and speaking lies about himself, about God, or about other people. He needs to learn to look at the hard situations realistically, to see what he can control and what he can't control, to confess his own sin and seek God's help when sinned against. Bouncing back from tough times requires that your child think clearly and speak the truth. 
Without rational thought, the devil can have his ways with his deceptions. Now we're in the home stretch of our top 10 list of ideas to teach your child to be resilient with number eight. Teach right first responses to stress. Ever since 9-11 happened in America, we use the term first responders to describe those police officers, firefighters, military personnel, and other professionals who meet the crisis head on. They respond first. Well, what characterizes our first responders? They are certainly courageous, brave, and strong. They don't appear to be anxious or fearful. They are calm and firm. They think through the situation and respond appropriately. Can you see a snowflake being a first responder? But this is just what we want out of our children, not to be first responders to another stressful situation necessarily, but to their own. The snowflake just collapses and melts away when stress occurs. A resilient child responds with a strong mind and heart instead. Now, this doesn't mean that we want our children to be hard-hearted or not shed tears or not get upset. They just don't need to fall apart. Parents need to teach their child, to put it in a technical way, to not freak out. Breathe. Stop and think. Don't overreact. It seems that people freak out about everything these days, and social media has just made it worse. Everything seems to be a crisis. But in reality, everything's not a crisis. There are really relatively few true crises these days, and a whole lot of manufactured ones. So don't let your child learn a habit of responding poorly to stress when it happens. Relax. Don't give in to fear. Stay still and wait on the Lord. Which leads us to our ninth practical principle. Talk a lot with your child about trust and hope. My guess is that a lot of young adult snowflakes quickly lose all hope. And my second guess is that on the whole, they are putting their trust in all the wrong places and all the wrong people. The only way our children will become more resilient is if they have biblical trust and hope. They need to first learn what it means to trust in the Lord, even when life hurts. They need to read a great book like Trusting God by Jerry Bridges. They need to read their Bibles over and over again to be taught to see the glory of the God in whom they can fully rely upon. The truth is that we can only bounce back because there is someone to bounce back to, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Without a firm and deep trust in the Lord, there is no reason for real hope. It's a shame that so many children and teens look to the future without hope. Many only see future calamity and stress. This is reflected in the dystopic genre of movies that many young people love so much. They are much more comfortable envisioning a dark future instead of a triumphant one. Again, they are putting their trust and hope in the wrong things. Don't teach your child to believe in himself more or to think more positively. Teach him to put his faith firmly in the Lord and in his kingdom and his power. 
When things are hard, you need to talk even more about trusting God and putting their hope in Him. Hopelessness only comes when we put our hope in all the wrong things. Now one last important principle of resilience. Teach your children to be strong in the Lord. Psychological resilience is all about strength. Strength to respond to stress. Strength to think and make decisions. Strength to speak truth and to believe truth. But none of this should be seen as personal human strength. The truth is that outside of Christ, we are all snowflakes. We are all weak. We all fall apart. We all crumble and melt. So you must not just exhort your children to be tougher and stronger. You are not a football coach, unless you are actually a football coach. They need to hear the gospel truth that in their weakness they are strong because of the strength of an all-powerful God. Now, it's even tough for us adults to get our heads around what it means to rest in the strength of the Lord and not just operate in our own strength. So you may need to learn alongside your child to be resilient in the Lord, to rely on him, not on yourself. Resist the temptation of false bravado or a false front of peacefulness. You can talk to your child about how easy it is to fall apart and stress out over things in this life. The only way they will grow in strength and grit is in the Lord. There is no other way to endure the hardships of this life. Well, hopefully these 10 practical principles will help you resist being a helicopter parent and avoid raising a child who fits into the snowflake generation. Wouldn't it be great if as Christians we could change the course of this generational trend? Unfortunately, it may take more difficulty and true crises to create an opportunity for this godly biblical strength to arise from the next generation of young people. Yet we should be okay with the truth that our children may need to suffer and struggle in order to be refined by the Spirit for God's kingdom. As parents, we must be preparing them and be ready to guide them through all the stressors of this life so they can bounce back and grow in Christ. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.